So, as we continue this conversation in the book of Genesis, uh, we come to a chapter that, uh, or a place in the story that's that's not easy. And uh, it's ironic, in my mind, some of the things that are coming up in the light of the world that we're living in. But I think what's interesting is if we really stepped into the conversations here, um, it's really interesting to hear what God is about. Now, when we left the story last week, Abraham had had three people visiting him. And uh, we don't know a lot about these people, but we, we saw this great hospitality that Abram offered them. We found out in the middle of this that, that they were telling him and, and reminding him of the promise of a child through Sarah. And we were reminded that even Sarah couldn't believe it. But then there were those beautiful words in Scripture that say, that, that things, all things are possible with God. There in the middle of Genesis 18 that we're reminded of that. And I, I said that probably we need to underline that. You know, um, I, I don't know what you're like and I, I don't know what your life is like, but I think underlying things, aligning things in Scripture and writing notes to ourselves is an incredibly important thing. And I'm going to tell you it's important not just for you, but it's important for your children that are someday going to have your Bible. My sister has been going through some challenging things in her life. And um, this last week, she was asking me why certain things were happening and she didn't understand. And my father was not a writer in his Bible. There's no notes in it. I wish there were. But in Romans chapter 8, my father had underlined a verse and he had made an exclamation point next to it. And as my sister was describing what she was going through, it was very simple for me to go, I need to remind you a promise that Dad believed in that you need to hear today. And I quoted Romans 8.28 to her. All things work together. My father probably underlined that when he was dying as a young man because he believed that to be true and that was as much true in his life then as that promise extends to us today and you need to know that you need to underline things in your bible and maybe remind yourself sometimes of the great promises of god because there are times that you're going to forget that all things are possible with god and you're going to forget a part of who he is And today is a reminder of a part of who God is. It's not a fun part of God. We like to be reminded of how much He loves us, and we like to be reminded of the sacrifices that He makes for us, but we don't like to be reminded too strongly of His holiness and His emotions tied to His holiness. I I don't think we like to think about God being angry. Do you like to think about God being angry? In fact, the Word of God calls 
God something specifically when it speaks of His anger. It speaks of God's wrath. And so it is tied to His judgment. The fact that God is judge. And that He can make judgments and he knows what's right. Now, that word today in our society is like a taboo word. We hear all the time, don't judge me, right? You can't judge me. Don't judge me. What right do you have to judge me? And that is constantly the language of today. And yet, in the passage today, we're going to see that God both judges and has wrath. And we're going to take a look at his character that probably is something that we should dwell a little bit more on because without realizing it, we can have the kind of obedience that we're going to see in Lot. Reluctant obedience. Instead of having immediate obedience. You know, when we were raising our kids, that was one of the things. We took this course and it says that the goal of parenting is first-time obedience from your children. Not nagging obedience, not eventual obedience, but first-time obedience. And it said the reason why this is important is this is what God expects of us. He doesn't expect us to warm up to obedience. He expects us to just obey Him. That's hard, isn't it? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let, let's get into the passage, and, and we'll take a little bit of a look at what, what he has to say today. So if you have your Bible in front of you, you might want to do that because you can't underline things if it's not there, okay? I know you can highlight them in your, 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 um, your online Bible. I do that all the time, and then I go, why did I do that? Because uh, I can't write notes on the screen because then I can't read the rest of the stuff. But if you're in your Bible, we're in Genesis 18 today. And we're going to take a look at his continued conversation with Abram and Mamre. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abram went with them to set them on their way. He was a great host, and not only did he he have conversation with them in the house, but you know how it is. Sometimes you get together with people, and you end up having a conversation by their car, and then they get in their car, and they open up the window, and you continue the conversation. You know, you're just trying, you're, you're, you're in this bit of being a host, and that's what Abram was doing. And they were walking towards And they looked down toward Sodom. And then God said this. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abram what I am about to do? He he, he says this to these other two people that you're with. And and at first you didn't know who these people are, but over time, as you read in this passage, you're going to find out that the three visitors to Abram were the Lord himself and two of his angels. And God turns to the angels and says, Shall I hide from Abram what I am about to do? But then he goes on and he says this, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all of the nations of the world will be blessed in him. What is he talking about? He's talking about his covenant, right? 
He's talking about this covenant that he has, this promise that he's made. And he's saying, in light of the fact that I've made this promise to him, maybe I should not hide from him what I'm about to do. Did you know that there's a part of God's word that we are promised a blessing if we read it? Did you know that there's a part of the word like that? And that part of the word is God explaining what's going to happen at the end of time in the book of Revelation. God could have hidden that from us, couldn't he? He could have sat down with the angels. He could have sat down with Jesus and he said, should I hide from my church? From my body? From those who believe in me, what I'm about to do? But then God thought, no, no, I'm not going to do that because they are my covenant people. I've made a new covenant with them, so I, I can't hide that. In the same way that he had made a covenant with Abram, he's made a covenant with us. And that's why I think that he even adds that idea. Hey, if you read about what I'm about to do, I'm not going to hide it from you. There's a blessing for you in that. He goes on and says this, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and disciples after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. He's saying, you know, I chose him, but I didn't just choose him. I chose the people that are beyond him. And so I want them to understand righteousness and justice. You know, every one of us in our heart has a desire for righteousness, doesn't it? That's why occasionally you'll be watching something and go, that's not right. Don't you say that? You know, you can even look at this picture over on the wall right here that's just a little bit off. Nancy and I had a whole conversation about it and it's still crooked. But there's a part of us that even in the simplest little things, we say, that's not right. That needs to be adjusted. That's not the way it should be. There's also a part of each one of us that says, that's not fair, right? When we sense injustice, there's a part of how God has wired us that wants things to be judged fairly. And some of the greatest heartaches in each one of your lives are those moments where you realize there's injustice. Or somebody taking advantage of somebody else. Or somebody abusing privilege. You know, you see, he had chosen him, and, and he knew that a part of what he needed to understand was righteousness and justice. So the Lord, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. You know, the only way God can truly bring to us what he's promised to us is if we understand what is righteous, and if we live in a world of justice. You know, there, there are some people that are really bitter because of, a lot of an injustice. But see, we don't have to be bitter because we realize that vengeance is the Lord's and he's always going to straighten things out. Even though they seem a little kittywampus right now, even though the accounting feels a little bit skewed, even though there seems to be a deficit in life, there is this sense that as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we may say, you know, the balance doesn't look good today, but the Lord will take care of this. Have you ever thought that? How about, let's go one step beyond that. Have you ever seen him do that? Where all of a sudden you're like, man... 
So because God had this covenant with him, he decided not to hide something he was going to do. And this is what he wasn't going to hide from him. You read on. Then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. He goes on and says this, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. You know, there is this sense that sometimes when injustice is taking place, it's like we want to go, now who in the world is aware of this? Who's going to make this right? And God says in his words, and I just think these are beautiful words, he says that there was an outcry in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is going to be amazing because as we read about Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't that anybody there was whining. But God saw the injustice. God saw the issues. And he was showing Abram, Abraham a different side of himself. He was showing Abraham his holiness and his justice on this day. And it was going to be demonstrated by his wrath. But why? So the men turned from there, that would be the two men that were with him, and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And this is one of those interesting passages in Scripture, because Abram was beginning to understand what God was going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he remembered something about Sodom and Gomorrah. Who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot did. His family did. And he understood that God was going to judge this, but he was concerned for his family And so he did what most of us will do. Instead of just going out right and saying, please take care of Lot. He could have done that, right? That's what he could have done. He could have said, please take care of my family. He decided to couch it in more diplomatic discourse that looks something like this. Then Abram drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? God, are you going to judge the righteous too? And then he says, let's just talk and imagine something. Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? God replies, Far be it from you to do such a thing and to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you! Shall the judge of all the world, the earth, do what is just? This is the big question. This is something you should underline in your Bible. Because this is something that you need to answer in the anguish and challenges of your own life. 
Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? God, are you fair? God, how in the world, have you ever heard people say this? How can he be a loving God and let these things happen? God, are you fair? This is the big idea of this whole end of chapter 18. The big idea of the beginning was nothing is impossible for God. The big idea is here is, God, are you fair? Are you going to truly be just? And he continues in this conversation, I believe, as he thinks about his nephew, his fatherless nephew that he brought with him, that his father had fathered, and now he had fathered, and now they had separated. And so he continues. And God responds and says, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will not spare the whole place for their sake. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He didn't say, if I find 50 in all of Sodom and Gomorrah, he knew what Abraham was talking about, and so he starts honing in on that. And so, so now Abraham's doing the math, and he goes, let's see, there's Lot, and there's Lot's wife, to be named later. And then there's his two daughters. That's four. And so he bargains. Abram answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of just five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. More bargaining. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he says, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak, suppose 30 are found there. He said, I won't do it if I find 30. Then he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Supposedly 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh Lord, oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again. But this once, suppose there are 10 found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Hmm. It says, And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Abram returned to his place. I've read the book of Revelation. I've read the things that Jesus Christ has said. He has not hidden his judgment from you and I. We know the realities of his judgment. And yet, sometimes I think the way we live, his judgment doesn't matter as much as it should, does it? 
we're going on vacation this week, and on the way there on Thursday morning, we're getting together with a dear, dear friend of ours named Dave Bogue. And Dave Bogue is an incredible speaker. And Dave Bogue spoke at several camps for me and did some meetings in our church, and he was just a great Bible teacher. And he has a message, and the message is called The Reality of Hell. And he preached all the scriptures in the New Testament that talk about hell. How many messages have you heard on hell as an individual? Not very many. But Dave is a really good speaker. And as he unpackaged this message, I saw hell like I'd never seen it before. And all of a sudden, I realized that I'd been doing some picking and choosing in how I witnessed. I wanted young people to come to the Lord. But if their parents weren't nice, I wasn't praying for them. I thought that maybe it was okay if they went to hell. Until I looked inside. And he painted that picture, and all of a sudden it was like, whoa. And I can remember being in an altar and weeping and saying, God, I don't want anybody there. See, God is not hiding what He's doing in the future to us. And that should motivate us. In the same way we're motivated by His love and acceptance, I think we have to be motivated by His justice and His justified wrath. Let's look at chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. They traveled anywhere between 18 and 40 miles that day because we're not sure where Sodom is because it was destroyed. Okay, There's guesses, but we don't know for sure where it was. And Lot was sitting at the gate in Sodom. Now this is interesting because Lot is sitting at the gate in Sodom, and, and when we went to Israel, it was interesting to go in through David's gate, because in David's gate, there is like this long bench right inside the gate. And we were told that this is where the elders would sit. At the gate. The people of influence. This, this was their equivalent of the town center. Or the courthouse or whatever is in the center. When we go to Indiana, in, in the center of street, of, of downtown, on the corner of Main and Main Cross, those are really the names of the streets, okay? That's where the town hall is. Right in the center of town. And as they came through the gate, the people of influence would have been there. And it's interesting that it tells us that, that that's where Lot was sitting. And so maybe all of a sudden Lot had been there long enough that he was recognized as one of the leaders of his community. Isn't that awesome? He was a leader in his community. In fact, it's interesting because in a minute he's going to invite these two people, he doesn't know they're angels, but these two people into his home. Now, Abram lives in tents, but Lot lives in a house that he's settled in in a community. So we can see that Lot has invested in Sodom. 
He, he's not on the fringes anymore. This is his home. He hangs out with the leaders in his community. That's the way his life is. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. Now, look at what he does. There's these strangers that are coming to town, and we don't know if they looked rich or what, however they looked, but Lot immediately went and he prostrated himself in front of them and said, Please come to my house. Now, we saw hospitality in the beginning of chapter 18 when the three of them showed up where Abram was, and he he offered them a meal, but he didn't lay on the ground in front of them. And so you wonder, I wonder, well, Scripture, we'll see, actually tells us that Lot was aware that there were issues where he lived. And so when a stranger showed up, Lot would go out of his way to try to protect the stranger because he knew what was happening in his community. And maybe he wasn't even a person of influence, but he hung around at the gate because he didn't want anybody that wasn't from Sodom to be affected by Sodom. So he went out of his way when two people showed up to say, hey, come to my house. Because he knew what was going to be happening. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. Nah, we're just going to camp downtown. There's some benches. They look long. They're going to be comfortable. We'll just stay there. Lot responds to that. But he pressed them strongly so that they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast of baked unleavened bread and they ate. So they had biscuits together. But he used his influence and he just basically said, Gentlemen, I really, really want you to stay at my house tonight. And there was a reason for that. And here's the reason. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all... You might want to underline that word. All the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were so caught up in sexual sin so caught up in wickedness that when somebody came to town all they could think was how that God has sent fresh meat for us to play with. There's no kind way to put this. This is incredibly vulgar. We don't even want to imagine what these men are saying. Now some people will say, and I, I watch several videos, they're saying, the, the violation 
in the city of Sodom was that they didn't offer hospitality to the guys. This has nothing to do with hospitality. God saw what was going on in Sodom and he heard the outcry. And the thing that was the outcry that he heard was the sinfulness and the poor choices that these people were making. These people are explained in detail in Romans chapter 1. They were making choices. Think about our world today. There are people that feel it's necessary to describe who they are by what they do in the privacy of their bedroom. I have never walked around and going, Hi, I'm Jim Koenig. Just want you to know, I'm a heterosexual. Sexual. You know, just want you to know what I'm doing in my bedroom. You know, I, I, you know, I've never described myself that way. In fact, Scripture is so interesting about sexuality that for the most part, it never describes it in detail. It just speaks of sexuality as they knew each other, right? Because God doesn't want us to dwell on the details. God has created a mystery around this so we don't think about it in detail. And yet our world is so vulgar today that it feels like it needs to explain to everybody what it does in the privacy of its bedroom. And those are the rights that it screams for. I want everybody to know what I do in the privacy of my bedroom, and I want everybody to approve of it. And I want the laws to change so that what I do in the privacy of my bedroom, everybody can know about. Because in the soul of every man and woman is the imprint of God and being his image bearer. And some things that we do, we always feel guilt in, and we cannot legislate away the shame that exists in the heart of man. You can't legislate it away. People, we are in for some scary days in front of us. Do you know why? Because they have tried to legislate sin away. The world has tried to legislate sin away at many different levels. In fact, some of the new laws are just scary to think about what some people are thinking about. They're just trying to legislate it away. But you know what? They can't wipe away the shame that's inside of them, so someday they're going to turn on us. And we're going to be the enemy, not because we have done anything against them, but because of whose we are. In the same way... Abram said, why are you going to be a just judge? They're going to say, your God is not a just judge. And so therefore, you not, are not judging right. And you can't judge me. And so whatever you think that stands against what I want to be is hate language, and that is no longer allowed. Does this sound familiar? And the days of persecution are probably coming. Because we live very close to a world like Sodom and Gomorrah. But God has opened our eyes. He hasn't hidden it from us. And so we need to prepare for it instead of being surprised by it. 
And that's what so often happens. I can't believe they treated me this way. I'm a Christian. I'm a nice person. No. Listen to what Lot says in response to this in verse 6. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. <laughs> you know, Lot was just trying to protect his guests. That was a bi- that's a big deal in their culture to protect and take care of your guests. But he played his cards, didn't he? Lot says, don't act wickedly. How did they respond to this? Oh. Now, this part is just unfathomable to me. In the process of keeping this law of hospitality and protecting his neighbor, this sojourner, these two men that he had never met before, he, he makes a bargain with the world, with the wickedness that's around him. And this is what he says. Behold, I have two daughters who have not been with any man. Let me bring them out to you and do with them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. I, I, I can't imagine this. I, I can't imagine this saying, hey, look, here's the deal. I don't want you to do anything vulgar with my guests, but you can have my daughters? You see, when we make our home in the wrong place, okay, without realizing it, all of a sudden the world can rub up against us a little bit, and we can end up compromising in ways we didn't imagine. God calls us to be holy like he is holy. And yet there are little ways that the way we live today, we would have never lived 20 years ago. We wouldn't have. But when good goes to bad, then bad doesn't seem so bad. And when bad gets worse, we all of a sudden allow ourselves to live in that. I I can't imagine how he could make this decision. Uh, uh, Here's Lot, the guy that's trying to protect the neighbor, and all of a sudden you can have my daughters? I fear for us in this world that we live in that our kids are so washed with all of the world that without even meaning to we are giving our kids to the world. The mob goes nuts. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge? Don't judge me. Stand back. We can do what we want. Who, who says that you can decide what's moral? I, I can remember teaching sexual abstinence in the school, and, and these kids would fill out these forms at the end of the week, and we weren't quoting any scripture at them, but this one girl put said, what right does a pastor have to come into the school and teach me morality? It sounds funny, doesn't it? 
But she wasn't trying to be funny. Don't be the judge of me. I can do what I want. Hmm. Now, we will deal worse with you than with them. Wow. What does that mean? You know what that means. We will treat you more poorly sexually than we were going to treat those other two men. Wow. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. The angels rescued Lot. You know what? I'm hoping that the, the angels are rescuing you and I. Occasionally, I think we're going to have these aha moments where we're like, whoa, wait a minute here, what's going on? And it's because the angels drew us back in. And it says that they did more than that. They did this. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance to the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. They were so driven by their wicked sexuality that even when they couldn't see, they kept on trying. It's crazy, isn't it? It's insane. Then the man said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. We are here about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. You know, there's these interesting verses in the, in, the, in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is talking and he says this. He says that if he doesn't judge Israel for the way they're acting, that he's going to need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a scary thought, isn't it? You see, Sodom and Gomorrah is an interesting picture of a reality that we know that is the end of the time. At the end of time, God will judge. And at the end of time, there will not only be the joy of glory for those that receive him as their personal Savior, but also there will be the condemnation to hell for some. It's a hard message. But that's what Sodom and Gomorrah is a picture of. Sodom and Gomorrah is a picture of that reality. Verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, go out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But they seemed, but he seemed to the son-in-laws to be jesting. They, they didn't get it. <laughs> no, you're, what a crazy idea. That's nuts. And they laughed at him. He could persuade angels to stay with him, but he had no influence on the people that were going to be the mates of his children. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, 
saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Now he has experienced, think of what he's just experienced the night before. Think of what he's been through and the rescue that he's experienced. Wouldn't you think that he would be on the move? Verse 16. But he lingered. We can sit here and be really critical of him, but occasionally God gives us an urgent, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I need you to do, and we're like, oh, i got to work up to it. I, I always obey eventually. <laughs> but, you know, we have a little lot in us, don't we? <laughs> so what happened? So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out of the city and set him outside and set him outside, brought him out and set him outside the city. So literally they said, We've got to go. And they grabbed his hand and they drug him on his family outside of the city. <coughs> God is merciful. Aren't you glad that God is merciful with you sometimes? And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Okay, so he's going to give them some instructions. Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. How do you think Lot's going to respond to this? And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving me. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. I have to go all the way to the hills? He goes on and says this, Behold, the city is near here to flee to, and is a little one... Let me escape there. It is not a little one, and my light will be saved. Do I, God, I, I want to obey you, but do I have to go all the way to the hills? I, I want to obey you on my terms. I kind of like city life. So I, I'm not going to stay in the big, wicked city. I just want to be in the little city, in the little town. What? You know, <laughs> he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor. So God has been merciful. God shows favors that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken of. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zeor, which means little city. <laughs> Had a different name. But this story somehow changed the name of the city. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zeor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the, heaven, uh, from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew the cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground.
But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now I did a lot of studying about this part. Do you know why? Why did not God show her mercy and favor? Why? Lot was being kind of a putz, wasn't he? God was trying to rescue him and he's like negotiating. He's like dragging his feet. And yet God saved him. goes back to that question in the last chapter. Will the judge of all the earth be just? I don't know about you, but as I thought about these verses, I've started this week pleading for people that I love. God, will you not Show mercy. Will you not show favor? Will you, will you hold your hand? Will grace somehow clash into their lives so that instead of experiencing the judgment of you, they can experience your favor? Oh God, for my children, for my relatives, for my friends. Can I negotiate with you, God? Will you judge them? Oh God, I have so many moments in my life that I really should just be a pillar of salt. Really, to be honest with you, I should be a pillar of salt. Because I don't listen. And, and I, I look back and I, I long for some of the things that were a part of my life before you or some of the things I didn't get to experience because I found you. And I, I long for those things. Haven't you heard testimonies where some people talk and they talk about their life before Christ and it sounds so wonderful that you wonder why they got saved? God, why am I not a pillar of salt? Why did Lot get to get away with certain things and and negotiate with you, but his wife, when God looked into her heart at that moment, judged her. Do you know what answer I came to? I have no idea. But it scares me to death. And Abram went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And do you know what I think he thought about at that moment? I think he thought about another moment where he stood on a mountain like that. But Lot was next to him in that moment. And he says, we need to divide ourselves. There's too much. You pick a part and I'll go the other way. And Lot chose... Sodom. (laughs) So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and he set Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Why did God save 
Lot? Because of Abraham. God, will you save my family because of me? Because of your covenant with me, this new covenant that I live, God, will you save my family? God, will you save my friends because of me? And my unsaved relatives because of me? Will will you give them mercy and favor when they deserve your wrath because of me? What will you do, God? I stand afraid. Because as much as I know the depths of your love and I embrace the cross and your forgiveness every day, I fear for your wrath and how it may touch people that I love that will decide to reject you. That will be like the son-in-laws of Lot and will think it's a joke. That will pretend to follow me but will be caught up in the world so that they can't help but look back and want what they think they're losing. God, will you save the wicked of my generation from not the judgment of a single city, but the destruction of all heaven and earth at the end of time. God, will you keep the people that I love from hearing the words, I never knew you. Now Lot went up out of Zaar, and he lived in the hills with his two daughters. For he was afraid to live in Zaar, so his daughter, so he and his lived in a cave with his two daughters. Isn't that ironic? Sometimes where God tells us that we need to go is probably where we're going to end up anyway because he loves us. And I wish this were the end of the story, but it's not, is it? The end of the story is about the reality that in the heart of his daughter, Sodom still existed, didn't it? And so they decided that since their husbands-to-be were dead, that the only way to have children was to get their dad drunk and make him the father of their children. Sodom remains in the heart of all of us until the grace of God redeems us. I think there are times to celebrate, but I think there's other moments to weep. And I think this morning, for just a minute, we need to maybe get at the altar here, or stand at our chair, 
but somehow we need to be like Abraham and we need to plead for the judgment that could fall on the people that are around us. Next Sunday, I will be back in Indiana. And there's one man that I want to get with before I get there. And his name is Bill. And I asked about Bill a while ago when I was talking with people from Indiana. Every, almost every Sunday, sometime during worship, Bill will sneak out of his chair and he will go to the front of the church and he will kneel at the altar and he will plead for his sons. That's what I want to do next Sunday. I want to join Bill at the altar and plead for my sons and for their sons. And that God will take Sodom out of the life of my family and replace it with his salvation. Let's stand together and let's plead for our families. God, there are days that we can say nothing more than we long for you to return. Maranatha, we want you to come back. But then there are days like today that we say, please linger. Please wait. Because we want you to work in the lots of our families. We don't want to see pillars of salt. We want to see brothers and sisters in your kingdom. And so, God, please let your grace collide in the lives of our unbelieving family so that they can turn from the craziness of this age to the joyousness of your kingdom. God, we are glad that your love created a way for us to have relationship with you. We love being your people. But your wrath and your judgment scare us. And so we pray that they would motivate us to obey you more quickly, to stop negotiating with you, and that it would cause us to constantly intercede for our families. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
I'm not sure what to do next. But I want us to rescue more, to be those angels that help drag people out of hell. Don't you? And I know we're going to get laughed at, and I know that we're going to have to be patient, but I am so thankful for God's grace. Are you not thankful for God's grace today? Amen. Well, God bless you all. There are steps of obedience we all need to take. For some of you, that step of obedience is to father to follow Judy King and um, Tom and others that are going to be baptized at the end of the month. As they say yes to God in even the smallest things. And so you need to say yes to God in even the smallest things. I love you very much. Enjoy the birthday party. And we will see you all soon. God bless.